the tech industry is still, for the most part, very monolithic. And, um, you know, it, it, you don't get a lot of love as a, as a you know, black IT guy or a woman IT, or IT person or a woman in tech or, you know, uh, black in tech. There has been a direction of some of the things that you can and cannot do or should and should not do or the roles that you should and should not have. And uh, I, I think that there are, there are fields that are still have opportunity to, uh, to grow and become more diverse. Empower You podcast is devoted to bringing real world wisdom and encouragement to our listeners, fans, subscribers, and friends. We talk about a multitude of life principles and the process from an economic, societal, and cultural perspective. We believe that in tough conversations and shared wisdom, we can pave the path and leave a ladder for the future. So subscribe to our channel, rate, review, and let us empower you. What's up, friends? If you're anything like me, you realize that eating healthy meals supercharges your productivity and gives you a clear mind so that you can solve more problems at work or in your business. Smile More Meal Prep Service lets you choose from a variety of healthy food options that will fit your dietary needs while putting a smile on your face so you can stop stressing about eating healthy throughout the week and buying lunches because Smile More Meal Prep has got your back. And if you use the promo code EMPOWER, you'll receive 15% off your order. So click the link in the show notes, order your healthy, delicious meals, relax, and smile more. Welcome to Empower You Podcast. I hope you're doing absolutely amazing. Uh, My name is Kipway Cooper. I am the host of Empower You Podcast. I'm so glad that you are here. For any of you who have been following the podcast, you know that we've been doing a series about men, right? We've done series about education, personal growth, uh, uh, maximizing relationships. Um, and this series is just about men and some of our unique challenges as we are um, uh, rising to our fullest potential um, and and developing the character needed in order to uh, really be instrumental, influential, and uh, serve our communities, our families, our um, jobs, whatever it is, okay? And so that's what we've been diving into. It's been an absolutely awesome series. Um, This is episode 94 in the podcast, so we're moving right on through. Um, And uh, I'm really excited that you all are here. So uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about today's um, topic. So today we're going to be talking about success over stereotypes. And one of the things that I want to preface this conversation uh, by saying is just that, you know, um, especially for men, it's really difficult sometimes to break free from the stereotypes that um are pretty much created uh, not only by society but by the media around what manhood is, around what it means to be a man and operate as a man in today's society. Um, And so we're going to talk about some of these things, some of these stereotypes um, and how ultimately they can or could not lead to success 
or uh, truly represent who you are as an individual. And so um, I have an absolutely fantastic uh, guest for us today. Um, he is the president of CT IT Advisors. He is an international speaker. He is a presenter uh, and an absolutely incredible uh, human being. He serves on multiple boards um, and is from super humble beginnings. I'm super excited to have him on the podcast. You guys just have no idea. Um, and so I, I'm really honored to have Mr. Clifford Clark with us today. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and bring him up. Mr. Clark, how you doing? I am doing fine. How are you doing? I am. I'm humbled by the introduction. It's, it's C2 IT Advisors. And thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you so, so, so much. C2 IT Advisors. Can you tell us a little bit before we get started about what you do, about what CT, C2 IT Advisors is and, and how it integrates with um, some things that we normally would use and or not even realize we're using? Yeah, so C2IT Advisors is a uh, strategic advisory firm or consulting firm. Uh, generally, we consider ourselves for the middle tier, or small to medium sized businesses where they have a significant investment in their information technology, IT environment. Uh, so basically, we will help with IT strategy, uh, uh, governance, policy, uh, capitalization in regards to understanding the value of the uh, property that they have underfoot, um, assist with a variety other tasks uh, that organizations need that generally they do not have inside their own shop because they are a small to medium business. Wow, that's a lot. It seems like, um, Man, I just, how did you get into that? You know, where, where, where are you from? Um, I, me and you have spoken, um, yeah. but I would really love to kind of hear from you, you know, kind of where you started and how you got into this world of IT, especially on a high level like you are at this point. I mean, so much so that, you know, you probably can't even have certain conversations with with people and it, because you know it just kind of goes over their head is that is, is that right well and, and i think that that's the, the challenge for a lot of it people and i think one of the things that we try to do is to have that conversation where people can understand it so that they can get comfortable with it and that enables them to make smart business decisions about their it infrastructure and the things that they that they have um, from the beginnings you know you kind of uh, again I'm, I'm very humbled by what you said um, I grew up in Brooklyn New York I'm a, a son of immigrants uh, from the West Indies uh, generally my father from Jamaica my mother from Panama uh, well at least born there they they both lived in Jamaica and then they migrated here to the United States I was living in Brooklyn, New York through my, you know, adolescent years. And then when I it was time to go to college, I decided to come to the great state of Indiana and the city of Fort Wayne to attend Indiana Institute of Technology. And that's where I got my undergrad degree in data processing. That's a degree so old, we don't call it data processing anymore. That those days are long since gone. But fundamentally it had to do, at least at the time, it had to do with learning various different programming languages or coding languages. Um, bank in those days were things like Cobalt and Fortran and 
and basic and those types of languages. Now those languages have changed, you know, C++, C Sharp, Python, Ruby on Rails, those types of things are now the, the cool, the, the cool coding <laughs> platforms. Right? And, uh, and I, you know, since coming to Indiana, uh, Fort Wayne, particularly uh, going to Indiana Tech, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, several great career opportunities and uh, kind of migrated up the uh, up the IT line and up the leadership line uh, in in the state. Along the way, uh, picking up uh, you know some you know I, I added my uh, MBA, uh, Masters of Business Administration. Um, in entrepreneurship and HR, and also, you know, try to stay current with various industry certificates. Wow, that is just absolutely incredible. Um, did you have, when you were deciding where you wanted to go to school, you know, did you have this forced thought that, you know, like, technology is going to be the next big wave, and I want to get in on it? Or were you just thinking, hey, you know, this kind of matches things that I like? We'll see how it goes. Well, that's an interesting story. Uh, probably way too long for the podcast, but I'll give you the <laughs> short version. Um, when I started at Indiana Institute of Technology, I was actually going to be a double E or electrical engineer. And um, again, I grew up in New York, and this is the uh, the, the formation days of uh, you know rap and things happening. So I was way into music and sound equipment and all those things of that nature. And I, my thought in my head was I was going to go to school and I was going to design the next great amplifier, right? Uh, and that was literally one of the things that I wanted to do. Um, so I was, I'm, I've been a geek. I've always been a geek. I've, you know, torn things apart, tried to fix them, broke some things, fixed other things. You know, you always have a little, a little success, a little failure along the way. Uh, and then as I was going through my uh, career in, uh, in electrical engineering, I quite honestly was uh, very challenged by some of the coursework and my study habits and the number of things I was all trying to do at one time and thought it might be a good idea to make an adjustment and change majors. And that's what I, that's when I came into IT. I was actually already doing, again, I was a geek, so I was kind of already playing with the technology and it just kind of made sense. I was a logical thinker and could write code and it just took off from there. Wow, that's really, really interesting. So what skill sets do you, does it take to get involved in IT? How do you know if you're going to be good at something um, like coding or, uh, or information technology or um, any of the data processing, however it is that um, you want to describe it? Because, you know, what, what I'm learning... Um, is that our individual talents create specific niches that we're very, very good at. But if we don't know what niches are available for us, we can often tend to feel like we don't have a place in the marketplace um, and we don't have much value uh, when in reality we're per we're all perfect for something. Um, but if we don't have a broader conversation around the different uh, ways you can use specific skill sets, it can become a little challenging to figure out where you fit in, especially if you're not, you know, a stereotypical whatever, right? You know, uh, and so some. what are some of the 
the uh, indicators that someone may need to consider pivoting into IT or maybe for somebody who's young and coming up like you know this might be something you you would be very very good at well the first thing I'll say is um, I think IT or information technology is such a wide field that it has a lot of different verticals that could fit just about anybody you know if you're into artistic things maybe gaming you know if you're into to uh you know inquisitive uh, problem solver maybe you know, database um if you're interested in connecting things and and creating all of the back end structure maybe uh networking so I, I think that there's a a good spread across the whole field of information technology that many people can get something uh, no matter what is it that they that they like but that being said, I, you made some important points. Um, I think that from an IT perspective, uh, I think you know some degree of curiosity, uh, problem-solving skills are also very important. Um, one of the biggest challenges that we have as an industry, and it's a, it's a reasonable um, it's a reasonable stereotype of the industry in regards to being able to tap down all of the technical jargon and talk lay people's language so that they can in fact understand. So communication skills um, might even have to write instructions. So technical writing, all of those things are, are things that will serve you well in information technology. And of course, logic, you know, like being able to process something logically. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So if you have a more, uh, um, creative mind or an inquisitive mind or a somewhat structured engineered somewhat um high regulatory mind you know you can find avenues within it that would fit you it's not as uh narrow a field as maybe myself or people who are listening to this podcast might think right i think that and i i'm I don't know as much about other fields, so I can't speak with the same confidence about other fields. But I think that, you know, in just about any field you might go, you will probably have various different verticals that, you know, are probably more standard, but then you have verticals that are less standard that will fit, you know, the, the, the desires and the things that you like. And so I know for sure in IT, as I've kind of given some examples that I don't, it doesn't matter whether the person is say an artistic or you know one side of the brain or logical and the other side of the brain i think that there's a vertical in there in it that can that can help people or they can feel comfortable that's awesome that's awesome thank you so much for explaining that um I, you know i growing up in gary indiana i really am so i'm still surprised at the amount of room there is for so many various uh levels of expertise things that i didn't even really know existed or you could at the very least create a career with you know and so i'm always interested to hear um when i hear about folks or 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 people who have accomplished things in environments or industries that just like intimidate me and i think it and and understanding the back end of, of a lot of the systems that we use in order to make purchases online, in order to uh, participate in, in Black Friday sales, in order to, uh, uh, you know, be on somebody's email list or get the latest discounts. Like there's all kinds of different strategies behind that. And someone has to build those. And to yeah. think about that is it's just almost overwhelming so i just have
have so much respect for um, the folks in the IT industry as well as um, those who are doing all that they can to make sure that especially young people understand there are so many different things you can do with your talent. You really don't have to just do what you're seeing on social media. Right. And I think that that's such an important point. I, I mentioned, you know, that they should be curious um, and that helps with, you know, the IT vertical, but it helps with any vertical. Um, when I was coming up in high school in Brooklyn, uh, one of the schools that I attended as a high school was a vocational technical high school. Now I took the technical track, but um, that still had a portion that was exploratory and vocational and we did everything. And I, I like understanding how things work. Uh, I mean, clearly you're not going to be an expert in everything, <laughs> right. but you know, you, there, there are things that, you know, it's like, wow, geez, I would love to learn a little bit more and, and, or even just have a cursory understanding of how things work, a cursory understanding how an internal combustion engine might work or plumbing or a framing of a house or electrical system or anything, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, I think, I think that we should encourage curiosity in young people and, and not pigeonhole them into just some short verticals that we offer as part of our normal curriculum. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Especially industries are changing so rapidly. You know, if you're not encouraging young people and then just people in general to be curious about their own gifts and talents, I think you're doing them a massive disservice because the yeah. industries that exist today in their current form may not even exist five ten years from now and so if you're, you're not serious right. you're almost automatically yeah. behind and uh, the fact is is that uh, you know right now there are opportunities for people coming up today to change careers over the, their lifetime you know yeah. maybe a, a few times over yeah um, there's going to be jobs that we have people working today that we may not have them working tomorrow because they're unsafe or they could be done better by you know automation or something of that nature and other jobs will pop up right you know, that's the other side of the coin because people always get worried about the jobs going away but other jobs will pop up uh and and we just need to be ready to shift whenever yeah. those things happen. for sure for sure so um Thank you so much for taking some moments and, and kind of unpacking some of that, because I think it's important as we go through this this topic that we understand, um, you know, kind of where you come from and also your mind frame on things and the value that you place on curiosity and on understanding the type of person that you are and what your gifts are and, and how broad and how many verticals, as you put it, just being yourself can present. And so um, I appreciate you sharing that. You know, I do have a couple questions that I'm going to ask you. Um, and, and I just I'd love to hear your opinion on this. So, you know, we're talking about success over stereotypes. And what I mean by that is just that many times, especially for men um, and, and black men, especially, I'll even say, um, and this may be true in, in other ethnic groups, but as a black man, I'm speaking from the perspective of a black man. I think sometimes 
it can be very it can be impressed on you that you have to live a certain type of lifestyle you have to subscribe to certain beliefs and actions um, in order to be accepted in order to be deemed as valuable uh, or deemed as non-threatening even and so um, those those stereotypes are quickly um, uh, wrapped in what we then internalize as masculinity. And so what I wanted to ask you, my first question to you is, you know, growing up in Brooklyn with immigrant parents, you know, what was your earliest impression of masculinity? Well, I would say that my earliest impressions would have to be my father. Um, you know, uh, my, my sister and I grew up in a uh, middle-class existence. Uh, we had two working parents. My father was a chemical engineer. My mother was a licensed registered nurse. And um, because of you know having that family unit available to me, that were some pretty standard, you know, masculine roles of, that was uh, available to me and my father. Absolutely. So, my dad. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> do you think? Do you feel like there was? pressure on you growing up that you had to be a specific way yeah i think that uh you know uh, and again I'm a, I'm a little older than you so i won't <laughs> go into the actual age but uh, you know growing up in, the, in those times I, I think that uh you know there were some pretty clear-cut um framing of what a masculine role might look like uh, you know head of the household uh can't be wrong, don't show emotion, uh, you know, stoic, uh, uh, you know, provider type of thing, you know, can't show pain. Those types of things are pretty common uh, attributes that were communicated and passed from, you know, generation to generation yeah. as I was growing up. I think you said that, you know, this, that you can't be wrong. I think that's such a hard place to live in. I think being wrong is such a gift sometimes. And to deprive people from the liberty of making mistakes and then turning and improving is just so, it's it's so limiting. And I think, and when you said that, you know, I, I, I immediately was like, wow, you know, because even growing growing up, and and even though there there may be a, you know an age difference, there's still still those things are still prevalent that you aren't yeah. supposed to admit fault, you aren't supposed to be vulnerable vulnerable enough to just have been wrong about something. You're not allowed. Otherwise, it's like now nobody believes you ever again in life. Which at least yeah, that's how it's framed. There's another side to that too. Um, I think. And you're absolutely correct with everything that you've said. At least I feel that you're correct. I'm in agreement with you. Uh, but I think the other problem is that if if you feel that you can never say, okay, I'm I'm wrong, then you almost never say I'm sorry, mm. right? So you know, whatever happens, well, it is what it is, right? I can't turn back the clock, you know. But you never will apologize. You will never acknowledge the fact that you're wrong. Um, it's kind of like the emperor has no clothes, right? Everybody else around you knows that you were wrong, you know, whether it was something what you did or how you responded mm. or what actions you've taken. Um, and you just want to, you know, you know, fake it in a way, but everybody knows that you're, you're, and that this, it, it, it lowers their perception of you. Wow. 
You said it's almost like the emperor has no clothes. Wow, that's really, um, that's really interesting that you said that because I think, you know, these gender roles and these stereotypes that we have about what it means to be a man almost create the opposite of what we're trying to create, you know, which you would think it would create um, level of respect and dignity and all these other kind of things. It almost does the opposite. You almost are, are less receptive. You're less dignified and you're less human and trustworthy because you can't occupy the full range of emotion and, and complex humanity that's important in order to be a good leader that's important in order to be a good provider in order to be a good protector in order to be a good father a good son or whatever like that and so i think that's very interesting that you said that thanks for listening to empower you podcast i want to take a second and tell you about a service i've been using that has literally changed my life akita ricks the founder of sawyerscore.com helped me erase negative items on my credit score provided me a clear path to improving my credit and raised my score by 100 points in the first 90 days like whoa the best part about all of this is all i had to do was follow instructions now if you're like me and you need a credit bestie you need to click the link below and schedule your absolutely free discovery call today tell them kid boy sent you and that actually makes me a little bit introspective because I'm like, wow, like, what am I super wrong about that I just can't see and or haven't addressed? You know, and I think that's just a um, a good thinking time question. Uh, maybe that I'll have this Friday <laughs> and just like kind of go over some things. Yeah. So when did you feel like, you know, you were coming into your own personality. When did you feel like when did you feel like you were kind of stepping out of the shadow of what was expected of you, right? Growing up in in a middle class household, you're expected to be certain ways, right? You have interests, you're an intelligent person, um and you're interested in, in electrical engineering and and so that might be a little bit different than than other people who you were around in Brooklyn, New York, right? Yeah, so I, I Go ahead. Yeah, I, I feel that um, I think by late in my high school career, uh, the kernel started to be formed. Um, I, I think that there's some research out there that would suggest that the, uh, the adolescent brain isn't really formed until their 20s, you know, their mid 20s. So I'm not going to suggest that all of the uh, synapses were all connected and I was a fully functioning adult. I, I wouldn't go that far. But I think <laughs> that, um, you know, I, I think that some of the core items, uh, you know, my my compass was set, you know, um, how I wanted to operate as a person, um, the things that I still do to this day uh, was was already set. And I think that as I grew into, you know, my collegiate life and then particularly into um, my career, I think that those things really started to uh, crystallize and get hard. And, um, you know, they're still with me today. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So you wanted to do music or to be a part of the music industry by way of electrical engineering, by way of building tools that made awesome music, which is a completely different approach. Um, and as somebody who, you know, listens to music and went to school and did music and all of that kind of stuff, I never thought about, you know, going and designing amps. You know, I never thought about, you know, going and, and being a part of that 
type of, uh, of, of industry, really, which is engineering and all of that other kind of stuff. Um, when did you realize that, or here's a better way to phrase that, that's not something a lot of people can do. Engineering and having the mind to do that kind of work is very different. And so you mentioned earlier that you were a geek and things like that. But when did you realize, you know, this is something I'm super good at? And how did that affect like the way that other people saw you? Because I don't see and maybe I'm wrong, but growing up, I never saw being an engineer or or being involved in electronics and IT as, you know, uh, stereotypically acceptable roles to be in. Um, you were generally like made fun of or people would uh, dismiss your ideas and things because I know this now, you know, they just couldn't understand what you were talking about. And so in order to not appear wrong, you have to, you know, then be the person who's who's bad or whatever. Um, how was that growing up and realizing that, you know, your intelligence was a lot different and even more advanced than the, the other young men around you? Yeah, I, I think that for me personally, um, and again, I, I was a geek and, and I still am to this day. I mean, I always joke about it, but I I, I love learning about things. Uh, you know, I like the History Channel and, uh, you know, uh, documentaries and just all sorts of different things. So that that's still me to this day. Um, I did have some cool things um, to kind of, you know, ride herd over my more geekier things. Um, I, I'll give you one example. Um, I remember early on, this is in my early adolescence, so around my early teen years, um, I, I was playing with uh, electric race cars, right? And so I, I think they still have them these days. They have different names on them, but Tyco was one of the names and it's a little slot race that you put the car on, you press the button, it goes around the track. And, um, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a teenager by this time, and I'm still playing with these uh, these uh, toys. And I, I I remember a conversation that my my father had with me about I'm not sure where this is going because you know like you're growing into you know your manhood here and you're still playing with toys. Um, and I I think about it and I and again I started to form my curl. I would say I never would say anything to disrespect my dad, but you know I I did have to figure out a way to explain to him and he was a chemi he was a chemical engineer you know there was a lot of other things going on behind the scenes of these these devices right you know so these electric motors the ac ac dc current all the different you know converting ac to dc dc running the track so the cars can go around and then then i uh, showed him a couple of magazines where they had these uh, massive uh, I mean, there's like one in, in, in Chicago at the museum, massive train sets. You know, if you've ever been to, uh, uh, I think it's the Field Museum in Chicago, they, get, they have one that's, I think it's under the airplane or something like that. And it's just huge. I mean, yep. absolutely yep. huge. And yep. people spend a lot of money on it. And then I, I think at that point, he kind of looked at it a little bit differently. And then, you know, it's like, okay, well, I, I get where you're coming from. Um, you know, you can have your toys and you can play with them. I, mean, <laughs> I think that you do have a little bit. Now, when it came down to the electrical engineering, particularly uh, the amplifier design, 
Um, and I'm going to go through this story real quick because it is kind of geeky. But, you know, uh, you know, way, way, way back in the days, we used to do things with tubes. And then we finally figured out ways to get things to transistors, right? I'm, I'm going really fast here. Um, and then we got into what we have today, which is, you know, digital signal processing, which is, you know, how we do sound uh, today. And I, I wanted to design a, a circuit. I wanted to design a, a, a chip or something to do amplification. And I, that's, I thought was really, really cool. Now to get there, to do all that stuff, I was pretty typical um, uh, teenager at that time. You know, I had, I had sound equipment still do to this day, you know, vinyl records, you know. Um, uh, I had turntables, mixers, amps, speakers. I mean, I did all the things that probably drew, drove my parents crazy at the time. But the point of the matter is, is that those all were connected, right? You know, if I wanted to design the next best amplifier, you know, I had all this other front end. And I, you know, I know that you're interested in sound equipment also. Um, but think of all the things that go into a studio these days. I mean, you think about a, you know, 48 track board and nowadays, I mean, when you look at it, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm really geeking out here now, but you know, you get a 48 track board and today now you can press a button and it adjusts all 48 tracks all in yep. one go, Yeah. right? Back in the days we were hunched over trying to, you know, spend <laughs> 10 little digits trying to get all of the things set. I mean, think of where this technology has gone in a short period of time, and it's just phenomenal. So I just tell people, again, continue to be inquisitive about it. And, and uh, you know, so, I, you know, back to your question, I, I think that uh, I had all these, I had I had the upfront stuff that probably was more acceptable, and I had the back end stuff, right? The, the, the upfront might have been the disc jockey equipment. The back end was, mm. hey, I want to design an amplifier. The, um, the upfront stuff might have been the, uh, you know, racetrack or something like that. The back end was having a, you know, a massive room that has a fully functional city, you know, with crossing guards and cars and, you know, lights coming on and the whole nine yards. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. I used to have a, a train set. Um, that uh, me and my brother used to only play with at night because it used to it had this light on it and it used to do this this had this like puff of smoke uh, I thought that was the <laughs> coolest thing ever yes. um, yeah. and so you know I, I completely appreciate that but I think there's a certain um, childlike curiosity there's a certain joy that comes from making things work that is almost discouraged as you get older you know you even though your interest may be to to create you know uh, um, uh, uh, um, and fix and to manipulate technology in order to make it do all these different things you know I think there's pressure to constantly change who you are there's pressure to be like whoever um, and yeah. I think oh go ahead yeah, you know, I think that that's a, I'm going to try and bring in a couple of books um, to kind of just talk about, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to remember every title or every author or anything else like that, but there's a small book, it's called Orbiting the Giant Hairball, uh, yeah, Orbiting the Giant Hairball, I think it's what it is, I could probably look behind me and find it, um, but it, the, the premise of the book is it talks about how when kids are like, you know, anywhere up to about grade two or something like that, you know, you might go into an auditorium and ask, uh, you know, hey, are you uh, are you an artist, right? And everybody will raise their hand. They had some piece of work that's, 
you know, magnet stuck to the refrigerator or on a, a cork board somewhere that they created. And I mean, nothing really, really that fancy, but you know, they, they still had that creativity going. Probably about the fifth grade, um, you know, the hands start going down about the creative side. Uh, you know, we, that's why extracurricular is so important in education because you know we know we need reading writing and arithmetic we we know that but you know we also need art music exercise all those things are still important to have a, a, a complete whole individual and uh, we in my opinion at times over focused on the reading writing and arithmetic um, to the detriment of some of the other creative side and you need the creative side to keep thinking about stuff. So whether that's a music program or an art program or a drama program or sports or anything, I mean, we need that other side to keep it going. The, the, the two halves of the brain keep working for each other. Do you feel like children or do you feel like young men, young boys become more and more deterred or become deterred from being creative, from occupying their curiosity at a faster or higher rate um, in your own experiences than, than maybe some some ladies? Well, I think, I think both young men and young women, um, we still have in this world and in this country, some pretty rigid stereotypes of gender and gender roles. Right. And so, you know, if, if you are a male, you have these roles that are acceptable, you know, usually something that's demonstrating some level of masculinity or mastery or something like that. And if you're um, a woman, you know, you have or a girl, you have these other roles that's supposed to, you know, in, engender the other side, the softer side and so on and so forth. And and, you know, and they, you know, never should the two touch. But that's just not the way we really are. Uh, so we need to we need to continue working on those issues. Yeah, and I I one hundred percent agree with that. Um, and again, I, I just think it really limits the imagination. And I think if you can't imagine things for yourself, it's going to be difficult for you to be a, a th in a thriving environment. It's going to be difficult for you to really c contribute to a, a community. Uh, because if you don't have the wherewithal to dream and to vision yourself, to envision yourself in a way that is confident, even though it's contrary to a stereotype, um, I think that's a huge disservice. And I think especially for men, we fall victim to that a lot um, because we try so hard to be seen as an authority figure or seen as an alpha or seen, you know, there's this intense amount of ego that we are, we inherit, right? And then it's our job to keep it up. And I think at the cost of much of our creativity, much of our sensitivity, creativity, um, we, we default to just being these egotistical beings that are just trying to be respected rather than valued um, because we've given up on ourselves, in my opinion. 
do you feel like well, go ahead well I, and, I, and i think that uh, again some of the some of the roles that we have from um, you know some of our stereotypes bias uh you know our thoughts on how things should be things should look and, and how things should fit um are still pretty strong uh, that's some of the things that we're, we're working through right now to try to kind of uh back out of and um unfortunately like i said it, it, there's there's probably some good and there's there's probably bad about uh, the various different things of you know we're making some assumptions that may not hold true and that's a big risk of, of doing those things yeah we're making assumptions that may not be true that's really really good um you know i was telling somebody earlier i said i think men desire safety a lot more than we let on and i think um men also desire um you know to be valued and to be seen and they desire peace a lot more than is popular uh, to to really articulate um and i think you know especially as you continue to progress and become successful i think it may be easier uh, maybe i'm incorrect in this but it might be easier the farther you get out of your native or home environments to start to express the other parts of your personality that um you know you develop as you get older and that you start to value um what do you feel like some of the biggest challenges that you have uh going against the grain um being a black man in the tech industry um and even just you know uh, um being different from probably a lot of the young young people and then the 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 gentleman at least at this point you know that you grew up around i'm not sure if you still know some of your some folks from uh brooklyn who you grew up with but yeah probably very different from they are correct or no yeah i i i would say that i am um i think that um i I had good friends around me so i always joke about you know only quality people i had great great friends coming up um i would say that my my parents and and the parents of my buddies were all pretty protective and so we kind of hang around in a gaggle of i wouldn't call us all geeks i mean so that wouldn't be true (laughs) and and i wouldn't i wouldn't i i could not let anybody go away thinking that i didn't you know love you know sports and hanging out and you know and and doing you know the traditional things like baseball and basketball and football and those types of things so I mean, I, you know, I had all of that, but I also had this other side where I was doing this, like, you know, doing the music and trying to, you know, building stuff and creating things. And uh, so I also had that. And, you know, there, there's a group of us that we kind of, you know, like we, you know, we, we've all progressed and people diverge as, you know, we get older on time, as time passes by. And, you know, some friends I know of and they're maybe doing their own thing or doing different things and, and things of that nature. For me as a, a black male in tech, I think that that's something that is not common, right? Uh, right now I'm I'm looking at issues of diversity, equity, inclusion in information technology field. And so I'm, I'm reading a lot of materials and understanding a lot of things that have been put in place 
And um, and it's the same for, for gender too. I know we're talking a little bit about black males, but um, you know, uh, the, the tech industry, uh, you know, is still for the most part, very monolithic. And um, you know, it, it, you don't get a lot of love as a, as a you know, black IT guy or a woman IT or IT person or a woman in tech or you know uh, black in tech you know, th there has been whether through education whether through social norms whether through you know, society uh, you know kind of like a direction of some of the things that you can and cannot do or should and should not do or the roles that you should and should not have and uh, I, I think that there are, there are fields that are still have opportunity to uh, to grow and become more diverse. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think for sure, you know, and I think there's a lot of, I don't know, to me, I think growing up in, again in Gary, you know, you just weren't, you didn't tell people you liked certain things, you know, you just didn't even want to hear it. You didn't want to hear people's opinions about it. Um, and I think even as an adult, Sometimes it's easier to just not explain um, because our scope on things, you know, especially with your buddies and stuff, like it can be really narrow, at least for me, you know, and I'm growing and I'm learning and meeting new people, you know, but uh, up until maybe the last year or two, you know, I felt like there was just such a limited amount of, of bandwidth I was allowed to be to express and be interested in if I was actually going to have friends, if I was actually going to, you know, fit in and, and be sought after or to be whatever. Uh, and, and obviously I decided to do what felt real for me rather than to occupy spaces that didn't feel authentic. However, mm -hmm. um, I think that's something that a lot of men struggle with, you know, being able to be authentically themselves um, and not adhere to certain stereotypes. Um, because ultimately, you know, we, we live lives that are prescribed to us by somebody else, you know, and I think that's why I've, I think what you're doing um, and what you have done is just spectacular because it takes a lot to go against the grain, a lot more than people realize it looks good in mute movies and it's cute and they play the good music behind it and all other kind of stuff but it's a lot and um i just need us to you know especially as men to to realize that it's okay to not do what people think you should be doing to not be stereotypical to not be whatever um you know the current whatever is does that make sense yeah, I, I i think that um particularly coming up um you know there were there were definitely roles and jobs and things of that nature that uh you know a lot of you know young men were kind of guided into um and i there's no shame in any uh legal activity. I want to make that perfectly clear because I think one of the other challenges that we have as African-American men is that we we do run just like any other male. We do run the, the gamut of, you know, uh, affluent, um, uh, social capital, financial uh, strength. I mean, everybody is not a power player you know everybody's not jay-z right you know everybody doesn't have millions and millions of dollars and you know 
so on and so forth, right? You know, you got you have people that go to work every single day and and they're doing just fine. And you know, a lot of the media roles of what you know what that box should look like doesn't necessarily fit, right? And so, if you are a uh, a chef or a cook or something like that, and uh, you know, we're not looking at a normal that doesn't look like a normal role for an African American male, right? Uh, you right. know, you get a little pushback on that, right? You know, it's like, why you want to do that, right? Um, and you know. We under we underrate the create the creative side of our brain. Uh, one of the things that you know I find it I've heard numerous times over, and I find it to be true is that you know creators will create even if they weren't paid for it, right? You know, if you were into music, you love music, you're going to play music, right? Now it's really really great when your passion lines up with your profession, right? So that you can get paid for your passion. Right, that's like ultimate. That's really goodness, right? But in the event that your your passion doesn't line up with your profession, um, you know, most people who have passion will do what they're passionate about anyway. And I think that that's very important. Um, and so back again to the roles a little bit. I think that the, the, some of the challenges is that you have this situation where. You know, you, he's like, well, you got to be this, so you got to be that. You have to be making this amount of money. You have to be driving this vehicle. You have to be, you know, dressed a certain way. You have to talk a certain way. And that kind of talks, that kind of uh, chips away at one's authenticity about who they are and, you know, how they want to navigate through life. Um, if they're not fitting one of the typical, stereotypical roles that, you know, society has set out for us. Do you think a lot of men are confused about their authenticity or lack authenticity? I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Um, there's some theories out there uh, in regards to, uh, you know, handling uh, this negotiated authenticity, which is a, a theory that's developing. It's really developing in, in, in like food, at least as far as I've been able to research in, in food and things like that. But there's other things like double consciousness and other theories that would suggest that for the out group, and that would be any group that's not the in group, right? right. So African <laughs> males, women, or anything else. So whatever that out group is, you know, uh, LBGT, you know, whatever, that would be an out group. Um, that there's this struggle, right? You know, there's code shifting going on. There's there's a, a dual language, right? You know, there's um, there's this negotiated authenticity, uh, a level of uh, a, a shield or a, a cover that you wear when you're out in public, when you're in the corporate environment, or when you're in the uh, when you're amongst the, the normal group, right? And then there is the relaxed state, the more authentic state when you are by yourself or um, with your own in-group, your own your own out-group, but within your within that group. So, I mean, there's a lot of these different theories that, that come up about, you know, how we feel. Um, and it's, I, it's hard to say that they're not being authentic because some of the some of the uh, covering is from a protection standpoint, right? right. You know, it's like, right. well, if if I, and I'm just going to just make this wild example just to prove a point, but, you know, if I go and uh, we're talking to the leadership body and everybody golfs on 
you know, at, at the country club and this is where everything goes and, and I want to go off and play basketball. Dude, you know, none of those guys are playing basketball and, and generally I'm not playing golf. So, you know, what might a person do? Well, you know, a person might pick up golf, right? Does that mean that they can, you know, authentically enjoy the game of golf? No, of course not. But is it is it their norm? Is it their natural? Maybe not, right? And so you might ask yourself, well, would you have ever picked up golf if it wasn't for this external pressure for you to, to, to fit into the, the uh, other group that you wanted to fit into? So I think that, again, back to the question of authenticity, we're, we're learning a lot, at least I am, about uh, the challenges, uh, particularly for folks in an out group, uh, to be authentic. And not only that, the stresses associated with trying to constantly cover, which is a, which is a literal health issue. That's, that's really, really great. Um, you covered so many things. You covered lived experience. You covered um, the idea that, you know, you want to be a part of certain communities. And so you start to reject or drop things that are valuable to you in, in, in exchange for acceptance, in exchange for community. Um, and then you also uh, um, uh, covered the, the realities that you know, there are mental health implications for being accepted versus not being accepted, uh, um, being valued versus not being valued. And sometimes authenticity gets lost in the desire to just be okay. Authenticity gets lost in the desire to just protect oneself um, from various economic, social, or political uh, um, attempts on your life, on your uh, success or, or, or on your m upward mobility. So I think that's, that's super, super great. And I love how you, I've never heard that term before. You said negotiated authenticity. Yeah. It's a new one for me also. Okay. Um, it, it is, uh, it's a theory that's evolving at this point in time. Right. And so basically again, it, it, it came at least from what I've read thus far, like it came from, and I'll just give you an example. Uh, and this is an example that I read. Um, you know, when we kind of think of Chinese food here in in um, uh, America, right. well, a lot of the Chinese food that we call Chinese food is really American food that is meant to appeal to us, right? Wow. Because they don't serve that food in China, right? So it's not really Chinese food, right? It's, it's American food that is designed to appeal to us. Um, when you have to go to the point of saying, you know, authentic Mexican food, right? Um, or when you go to an Indian restaurant and, um, you know, they may have some some pretty standard spices, spices, excuse me, when they do a dish and we have to dumb it down for a Midwestern uh, palate. You know, so is it really authentic or is it is it is it really like they would make it or is it, Yes, yeah, kind of negotiated, right? <laughs> so that's that's where I've been finding out the term is coming from, but it's being applied to other things as I'm as yeah. I'm reading more information about. It makes so much sense too. It really, really does, and I think, man, that's another one that I'm gonna have to think about because you got to think how many other personalities, identities have you negotiated based off of your need for acceptance, need to get a paycheck, need to like all of these things limit your ability to really be yourself. And as a man, we have the added uh, pressure of 
of what well, you're supposed to be competitive and you're supposed to be in charge. It's just like, well, first of all, none of this is really any of my stuff. I'm just bluffing at this because I want to be able to achieve X, Y, or Z. And so now I have to adopt all these personalities and traits in order to just be able to stay in this room. You know, if and, and that that negotiated that's that's amazing i'm really glad that you said that and i'm i'm new to that also i'm learning more and more about it and you know i know i talked about it in in food services as an example but i mean it's the same thing for for humans as you know we 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 negotiate what's an acceptable level of authenticity to be successful in the environment that we must exist yeah yeah oof that's so powerful Mm. Okay, um, so I have, well, I have two two more things. Two more things. You've been you've been so helpful to to me and and to anybody who's gonna listen to this, who has listened to is listening right now. Um, you know, this is Mr. Clifford Clark. He is the president of uh, C Two uh, IT uh, Solutions, um, and and. I just appreciate you sharing all of this with us because nobody gets to see um, the back end of all uh, of, of, of what it takes to perform on a high level um, and the, the space you have to negotiate in order to actually be instrumental in your industry, right? But then also to preserve your own authenticity. You know, that's an entirely different type of understanding of space and of people um and so i just appreciate you sharing that with myself and then with all of us who are listening um i want to ask you uh one more question and then i would love to get a thought exercise from you um so the one what's one thing you want you know our listeners and our young men older men who may be struggling with their negotiated authenticity with their 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 struggle between actually doing what they feel successful at what they feel good about versus operating um you know in whatever stereotype is giving them the life that they need or the life that they want or giving their children the life that they want whatever it is like what what is what would you tell them what's something you want them to take away from this conversation well, I think that um, most people will miss, you know, at the end of their their life, uh, whether we're, you know, in the hospital bed, at home, in a nursing home, wherever, you know, have this, you know, aha of or epiphany of, man, I, I wish I would have took this path. If only I took this path or something like that. And that's a little bit too far down the road to kind of really have that wish. So I, I think that I would tell people today to, to go ahead and experiment and to uh, exercise those passions while they, while they can, uh, you know, earlier on in their life, as opposed to not doing it because of feeling pressure that you had to be, you had to fit a certain box or you had to be in a certain mold that you just go ahead and do what you're passionate about. Um, obviously, and you mentioned it too, you know, you got to balance your passion with your livelihood, right? You know, you might want to go off and climb mountains, but you still got to feed the family, so to say, right? You know, so there, there is some degree of balance there. I'm not suggesting anybody be irresponsible by any stretch of the means, but 
if there's ways to experiment or to engross yourself in your passion, you probably need to do that. And I would, I would argue, although again, I don't have any scientific evidence behind this, but you know, it's probably good for your, your mental health, your emotional health to be able to keep your passions alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, even without science, I think, you know, that's really true. I think, you know, we're wired to like certain things and we're to be interested in certain things. And um, it's to me, it always feels validating to hear someone who has accomplished so many things um, say it's okay for you to experiment and to just try it. You know, um, the farther, the more you develop, I feel like, you know, again, we're going right back to this the t- stereotypical masculine roles about not being wrong. You know, I think the older you get, the more afraid you are of being wrong as a man, being rich. Yeah, well, definitely, especially now, um, you know, as you grow older, um, as you're developing your career, I mean, being being wrong may have a a larger consequence right so you know not to say that anything is perfect or anything else of that nature Uh, i also think that in today's world like in you know this century uh employees are looking for authentic leaders more than they probably did you know in the last century or the last 50 years i mean when you think about the leaders you know, 50, 60 years ago, they, they had a more uh, command and control. You know, I say do this and, you know, right, wrong, and different. You know, I say jump, you say how high type of thing. And now, you know, we have, you know, books like, you know, Begin With Why, you know, Simon Sinek is like, you know, do this. Why? <laughs> Why should I do that? You know, help me understand how I fit in this possible. <laughs> so now we have this desire to have more authentic leaders and uh, and that's another thing that I think is, is just pretty important, especially if, uh, particularly for African-American men, we have to figure out how we balance that if we are gonna be successful. Yeah, for sure. Oh my goodness, that's so good. That's so good. There's a couple of things I'm gonna have to, I do thinking time uh, every week on Fridays. And so some of those, um, some of the prompts from this, from this conversation, I'm definitely gonna be thinking about because it just has such bigger implications, you know what I mean? You know, and it quickly just spreads over your whole life. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, So um, as we wrap up, you know, our thought exercises for me are like just the favorite part of the show. We've done over 90 of them at this point, and I still just really value them because they're so tangible um, and easy to execute. And so uh, I was wondering if there's something that you like to do or something that you have prepared for us, I would love for you to give us a, a thought exercise uh, as our closing. Yeah, so right now, uh, there, there's so much that I think we'll probably have to swing back around and talk about uh, some other things uh, later on in the next podcast at some point in time. But um, one of the things that I look back on my life and I say, you know, what would I say to a younger version of me? Um, I would say, and I'd say it to folks now, if you know, read more, learn as much as you can, and listen. I think one of my biggest weaknesses coming up was two words, I know, I know, I know, right? And my, 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 I, that was a desire to please my, my father in regards to, you know, being able to do things. Like, I know how to do it, I know how. 
right? And my father would, would immediately just, okay, well, you know, I'm gonna step back and watch you do it, right? Now, mind you, that led to a lot of failures, but it, but I think that, um, you know, maybe if I listened a little bit more, I probably would get a lot more done. But for a thought exercise, um, I was thinking about this, and um, right now, today, in this world, uh, we are so polarized, right? I mean, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion issues are hot. And, um, you know, whether it's George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and so many others, you know, uh, situations that have, have uh, popped up to show that there is significant inequity. And then we still have things like voting rights and also um, you know, issues of, you know, what are we teaching our kids in school? Like whether it's, you know, critical race theory or, you know, what's real history or whether we're trying to cleanse it, whether we're trying to avoid our um, our history as the United States. And um, I, I would say that I would encourage people as a thought exercise to listen to the other side of the argument, not suggesting that you have to accept the other side of the argument, but at least understand the framework because there may be a, a third option out there, uh, you know, as opposed to it's not, it's not binary, it's not one or zero, it's not on or off, there, there might be gray. There might be quite a bit of gray out there. So if anything from a, from a thought experiment, I would suggest for, for listeners, uh, watchers to think about the things that, that they do in a week and think about the things that they were probably pretty binary about and see if they could figure out the other side, whether that's engaging somebody that doesn't think like them, and uh, and then see if there is a third option. Hmm. See if there is a third option. I think. And the by the way, I, I don't want to. I don't want to like misappropriate that. That's actually a title of a book. Uh, the third option. It's a very good book, and I again, I I should know the name of the author, but I, I don't. He's a preacher. Um, a pastor uh, in the West Coast, uh, I think it's Rock Church or uh, The Rock, I think. Okay. Uh, so, and that was a good book. That one was something that somebody shared with me, and 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 so, just thinking about that other option that's out there. Absolutely, absolutely. You said we are often polarized. That's so true. Yeah, especially like, right now. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing so much with us. You gave us so, at least you gave me so much to think about. And I truly, truly appreciate it. Um, if you all are listening right now, I want you to go ahead and put a, a, a like, a, a five-star review, say thank you, Mr. Clark, uh, in the comment box. Um, how can people reach out to you uh, if they want you to come speak to their organization, if they want to uh, um, engage with your company? Um, how can people find you and participate um, in, in what you're bringing to businesses? Yeah, so I have a, a, the easiest way is my website, and that is a c2itadvisors.com. So that's C2ITADVISORS.com. And there's a contact page on there that they can, you know, send me a note or anything else of that nature. And my information is pretty publicly available. So if the, any halfway decent search of the internet will probably turn it up. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'll have all of that information in the show notes so that if you want to engage uh, with Mr. Clark um, and have him come in and take a look at some of your um, IT issues or some rebuilds or, or some uh, expansions that you want to do, you guys can reach out to him. And also he comes and speaks to classes and does presentations and he's absolutely incredible at it. Um, I remember one time uh, you were presenting at St. Francis and I couldn't even hear you, but I was just watching the way you were engaging and moving around the room. And it was just really, really incredible. Um, and everybody was very, very, uh, uh, just engaged and captivated by you. And it was really, I just took note of it. I used to do a lot of stuff over at St. Francis. And so, um, I just noticed the, how good, how well you presented and how engaged people are. Cause you walk by and you see students falling asleep on some people, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) You can't help but notice that. And so, um, if you all are interested in having him come out, you know, again, I'll have all this information in the show notes, uh, reach out, uh, thank him for his time today. Um, we appreciate you for being here. Thank you all for listening. Um, this has been an absolutely incredible episode. I will talk to you guys again, super soon. And until then, peace. Thanks for listening to Empower You Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review this episode because we would love to hear your takeaways from this discussion. And it helps us reach more listeners just like you. If you'd like daily audio video clips from the podcast, you can find Empower You Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.